right. Welcome to the Cold Calling Podcast. You guessed it. We talk about cold calling here. Typically on these lives, a lot of times we do live cold calls. Uh, but today we've got Josh Braun on today, and we're going to do something a little bit different. But if you have not checked out the Cold Calling Podcast, now is a good time to do that. It's on every podcast app available. Uh, and it's brought to you by Monster Connect, which allows you to have eight to 10 times conversa more conversations than you're used to having when making cold calls. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Colin. Yeah, today's going to be a, a, a different um, session than, than normal. We're just going to kind of talk about some of the things that I know you love talking about most, which one is cold calling. And, uh, and, and just try to drop some nuggets here. What we do is we take these recordings and we drop you know, some of the best moments on the cold calling podcast. It's a daily podcast about cold calling. So we thought it was a good idea to bring you on uh, because I know it's a subject you've been studying and teaching for a very long time. Yes, this is what I've been doing for a while. Some people teach music, some people teach cooking. Me, my sort of thing is, is cold calling, I guess. This is how it ended up for me. You know, this is, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I'm, a, you know, I've, I've been cold calling for some time myself. I've probably made over 500,000 cold calls, um, which is funny. I posted something about it the other day and, and somebody questioned me, like, I don't think the math adds up, he said. And uh, he wanted me to break it down. Like, how did I get to that number? Which I thought was pretty awesome because there's a lot of people that make a lot of claims these days on social. And there's not a lot of people that have the courage to actually question some of those things. So I actually really appreciated it. Yeah. I mean, I, I was uh, talking a little bit about this last week. I get, I don't know, 10 to 15 emails. Actually, I just got one today from salespeople claiming that they're going to 2X my revenue. They're going to yeah. increase my response rates by 20%. But then when I actually email them back and I say, well, if you don't do that in 90 days, um, can I get my money back? And the answer always is absolutely not. Yeah. Right. If so which tells which, which tell yeah, which which tells me if you even get an answer, which tells me you don't really believe in the product. So if you're gonna make a claim like that, rever reverse the risk or don't make a claim like that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I see that a lot of times. I'm in fact just this morning I got another one. We're gonna get you twenty thousand more TikTok followers in 30 days for X amount of dollars. I'm like, okay, great. If so, if you don't do that, what happens? Oh, well, then we just extend it and we keep doing it until we get you 30,000 followers. I'm like, well, I'll get that on my own eventually anyway. <laughs> like you, you said you would do it in 30 days. Like, so there's this, this sort of hypiness is, is rampant and uh, there's not really a lot of risk reversal for the, for the buyer. Um, yeah. in it. And so, the, and, and these emails are all over the place and it's always a 247% this, 68% that, but there's no real proof. And there's, there's certainly not a risk reversal most of the time. Yeah. And do you ever get a cold call with some sort of, you know, unbelievable claim uh, like, like you mentioned in those emails? Yeah. So the, the problem with the cold call is a little bit different. Uh, so when, when the phone rings and a prospect picks it up, you are competing with every single experience they've ever had with a salesperson since the beginning of time, <laughs> especially ones that are on the phone. So you think back of your first experience with a salesperson or a sales message. Mine was when I was seven years old. I had comic books and in the comic book, there was a sales message that was trying to sell me on this product called Sea Monkeys. 
And it looked amazing. These, these were things that you could grow in your house. You put a little water on them and they grow to be about six feet tall and you can train them. And I was going to train them to beat up my brother because he would always pick on me. So I saved up my money and I believed the sales message. But when I got the product, lo and behold, it was these little tiny brine shrimp that certainly did not grow to six feet tall and died in like within a couple of weeks. And it was the first time I had been duped by a sales message. And it was not, not the last time I've been uh-huh. duped with car leases and everyone has experiences like this. So when you cold call someone, the initial job of a salesperson is I got to persuade them with my sales message. And yet when the buyer or the prospect feels persuaded, they enter what I call the zone of resistance. And what salespeople then do is they say, oh, that's something I have to overcome. Um, What I'm suggesting when we cold call, we can get into this a little bit is, is that your job is actually not to persuade people to book a meeting. It's not to talk people into anything, but your first stop is to just lower the zone of resistance that prospects have when they get a cold call. And that's done certainly through messaging and tonality, but it actually starts with intent. Because when when your intent is, I got to book a meeting with everyone, what happens is that sets forth in motion energy, meaning the way you talk, the way you sound, the way you behave, because your intent is, it's my job to talk someone into a meeting. You sort of come in with that assumptive energy and the prospects can feel that. And as soon as they feel the push, um, they may, they may agree to something just to get you off the phone, but they're going to go into this sort of resistance mode um, because salespeople, the traditional cold call method is based on control. I'm trying to control the conversation to control the outcome. Yeah. I mean, I know when I first got my first sales job, we had our script and then we had our rebuttals, right? Hey, this is what you say to overcome these objections, which you will encounter because here's the top 20 objections that we hear most often. And here's how you sort of trick them into getting out of that, you know, zone of resistance. And I think there's still a lot of scripts and uh, sales cultures that operate that way. Um, but, but I'm curious, how does, how does an SDR or BDR or anybody who makes cold calls rather get out of that mindset of I've got to book a meeting because they've got their activity quota, they've got their meeting quota, and it's really hard, I think, for them mentally to not go into those calls feeling like I've got to book this meeting. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. When you detach from the outcome, what ends up happening is when that's your intent going in, you certainly believe in what you're selling and you certainly believe that you can actually help the prospect. But when you come in with this scientist mindset, not a salesperson mindset, it changes everything. So scientists have a hypothesis, but they don't know how it's going to end. They don't know the end of the experiment. They come actually from a place of not knowing. They come from a place of inquiry. Mm-hmm. And ironically, when you approach the call like that from a, from a state of inquiry and curiosity, what ends up happening is you behave completely differently than when you come from a place of knowing and assuming that everyone needs what you have. It takes a little bit of a leap of faith at first, but what ends up happening is you actually end up having more conversations with people. And the more conversations you have with people, the more likely it is that they're going to want to continue the conversation with you. When you go into the call, assuming that you need to book a meeting with everyone, what ends up happening is you say things, you, you sort of lose people at hello. And now you're in this world of overcoming objections, which by the way, that term to me 
doesn't really make sense. The word objection to me never made sense to me because it feels like the prospect is doing something to the salesperson. So it already gets you into this negative space. I call it resistance. So resistance is the nature of cold calling. Just like if you go to a dog park and you see dog poo on the grass, that's the nature of a dog park. If you expect to go to a dog park and not see dog poo, you're gonna be very disappointed. So on a cold call, you're going to hear resistance, but most of the resistance you hear on a cold call is because of what salespeople are saying at hello. So we can go through some talk tracks that, that I teach, but it's very difficult for a prospect to say, I'm not interested or I have a vendor for that. When you construct the call from a place of inquiry versus pitching, I'll actually prove it to you right now, just in a quick yeah. little experiment. We haven't rehearsed this at all, but yeah. if I said to you, Colin, the best flavor ice cream in the world is pistachio. Don't you agree? I'd be like, no, I hate pistachio. Right. So that's what, we, that's what salespeople would call an objection, right? If I'm selling pistachio ice cream. Now watch this. Colin, I know that the three most popular flavors of ice cream are chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. What's your favorite flavor? Uh, I prefer chocolate. Notice he didn't say, no, it's not. Notice there wasn't any resistance there. Now, what's, what changed between those two things? Well, one, the first example, I was making a statement. Yeah. I was into giving my value proposition. Pistachio is the best. You want to learn about pistachio. That's what most cold calls sound like. Let me tell you, we've discovered a breakthrough in ice cream called pistachio. The reason that I'm calling is to share this pistachio breakthrough with you. If you have your calendar handy. That's a very sort of traditional cold call yeah. script. Yours might sound different, but you're coming from a place of pitching and persuading. And when you, when you make statements, it's very easy for brains to resist because of how brains are wired. Uh, we all have the desire to be in control. And when we're told what to do or what the favorite flavor ice cream is, we resist. It's, it's called self-determination theory, right? Self-motivation theory. So when I come from a place of inquiry and I'm asking you a question, it wouldn't make sense for you to say, no, it's not. Pistachio is not the best. It's chocolate because I'm not structuring the talk track that way. Yeah. And when you, the second option there, I felt in control. It's like, hey, he gave me three options. Even if none of those three options are even my favorite, I still felt in control. Like, well, of the three, I prefer chocolate. Or, or you say, you know, none of those. I like butter pecan. But it's the question, right? So I'll give you another example on a cold, couple of examples on cold calls, what this might sound like. So there's a lot of debate over permission-based openers, but let's just table that for a second, whether you like it or not. Let's just assume, start the call however you want to start it. I want to walk you through um, a couple calls that I've received that were based on inquiry versus yeah. pitching and how different they feel. Now, the, the question that you ask can't be any question. It has to be a neutral question where you're not leading someone to a desired answer. So, hey, Colin, if I could 10X your viewers, would you be interested? That's a leading question. What I mean by that is you can sense that the salesperson is trying to get me to a desired answer that's in my best yeah. interest versus a course, neutral question. Who wouldn't, right. who wouldn't be interested? Right. right. You don't want to ask an obvious question like that, right? Do you, do you want more sales, right? If I told you something interesting, would you be interested? Like all these kind of like yeah. weird questions. So I, I got a call. Uh, I, I wish I remember the name of the company. Optimi, Optimizely, maybe something like that. But the rep said something like this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase it a little bit. But it was something like this. Hey, Josh, um, I was on your checkout page of the Badass B2B Growth Guide. 
and also your poke the bear. And I noticed that you didn't have any tracking pixels installed. How are you retargeting people that abandon their shopping cart? It's almost imp not impossible, but it's almost impossible for me to say, I'm not interested because it would almost be like saying, I'm sorry, not, not interested in shop, shopping cart abandonment or something, right? It, it doesn't really make sense. I'm kind of mm -hmm. focused on a, pro a specific problem, right? I mean, it, it's, it, it's hard, it's hard, right? It's another one I got from this woman, Kendra over at Gravy. Josh, I know you sell courses. How are you dealing with failed credit card payments today? Are you doing that yourself or are you using like an outsourced recovery team? And I said to her, I don't think I have that problem, Kendra, because I'm using Stripe for that. That's not a quote unquote objection. That's a fact. So yeah. if you think that's an objection, you're going to try to overcome it. But Kendra said this because she knew that was a fact. She said, oh, it, it sounds like you log into Stripe and you're running failed credit card payment reports frequently. So Chris Voss calls this a label. You're describing what the person is probably doing. And if they're not, they'll correct you, which is what I do. I go, I don't think I've ever done that. And then she said this, if you'd like, I can send you instructions on how to log into Stripe. You can see if you have failed credit card payments. And if you do, we can chat. Does that sound okay? And I said, sure. And she sent me an email with instructions and I logged into Stripe and it turns out I don't have a lot of failed credit card payments. But if I ever did, I would call Kendra. Yeah. Right. So these these kind of, these kind of questions. Hey, Colin. I know you're. Uh, looks like you do some podcasts. Work with a lot of podcasters. Colin. Uh, they, they typically use a couple of different tools, like Apple Logic or Headliner, or subtitles to edit and promote their podcasts. How are you editing and promoting your podcast today? What kind of tools are you using? Yeah, I actually don't do it myself. I have a company that does it for me. Right. Now we're in a conversation. Yeah. And, and here's yeah. the thing. If there's no problem with that company, there's no reason for you to want to have a conversation with me. So yeah. the most important part when you make a cold call is you have to have a point of view about what's broken with the podcast production company. Let me emphasize this a little bit with a couple of examples because it's the most critical part. Because most people when they call here, I'm not interested or we have a vendor for that because the prospect doesn't perceive what you're saying as being any different than what they have. You're saying we got a recruiter and they got 50 recruiters. Yeah. So imagine you're Steve Jobs in 2001 and you are selling an iPod. At the time, all the digital portable players held 15 songs and lasted a couple of hours on the AA battery. I used to have one. If you are only having a music collection of seven songs and you're only listening to it for 20 or 30 minutes, there's no problem. However, if you go on long distance runs like I did and you have a big music collection of hundreds of songs, what you had to do in those cases is carry around batteries and these little memory chips. It's hard so to imagine. Jo it's hard to imagine yeah, well, seven, only having seven songs. <laughs> 15 songs. Yeah. So if you were, you were to call someone and they were to say, you were to, you were to call them, hey, Josh, when you go running today, um, are you using like a CD player or a digital music player like a, like a Diamond Rio? Oh, I'm using a Diamond Rio. Are you, you guys running short distance, long distance? Oh, I run like eight, 10 miles. What do you do in those scenarios where you want to have more than 15 songs? Are, are you like carrying around chips? Yeah, I carry like six chips. Why, what do you guys do? Well, with the iPod, you can have a thousand songs in your pocket 
and it lasts for 10 hours. Well, how does that work? Now, let's, let me show you. Right, so the talk track is like you're, you're sort of teasing and pulling versus pushing. So the yeah. differentiator there is longer battery life and more songs. That only matters if the prospect has a big library of music and the battery life, they, they need it long, for a longer amount of time. It's the same thing with what you're selling. Most people that I hear on cold calls are selling more MP3 players. And so the prospect is like, dude, I got an MP3 player already. You got a podcast, podcast production company already. So I don't know how I can, I don't know what's wrong with those, those people. Probably nothing. <laughs> yeah, I, I could I ask think... you, how's, how's that been going? Sounds like you love them. Sounds like you, I might say, Colin, sounds like you wouldn't change anything about them. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not everything's great, right? Then we're in a conversation and we can go. From right. But I think the, the key difference with these approaches is, is that the, the, the people that are doing this right, they deeply understand their customers, their, they understand the problems that they might have, um, how they're potentially solving those problems. Yes. And they're, trying to get into a conversation about that rather than trying to pitch to get a meeting. You, you make a great point. And this can't be emphasized enough. No matter what you sell, people have an MP3 player. Meaning no matter what you sell, they're getting the job done today. So in order for you to pique someone's interest, you have to know something they don't know that can hurt them. I mean, I'll tell just a quick story again to emphasize this only because it's so important. Um, these are all true. So several years ago, I'm in the mall with my wife. I needed nothing. She was shopping. We were going to grab dinner at True Food, which is in the mall here at Boca. And to just kill some time, I walked into a fit to run store, not needing anything. So if the store associate said, what brings you in today? Not interested, just looking. If she said, let me show you these new Brooks sneakers, mm -hmm. got sneakers, which is, I got a vendor. She didn't do any of those things. She looked down at my sneakers. She goes, are you a runner? I said, yes. She goes, oh, what distance? I go, I'm training for my first half marathon. And then I will never forget what she said. It was so brilliant. She goes, you've probably had a running gate analysis test. Now these questions like that one and like the checkout pixel one, when they're done well, they make the prospect stop and think a little bit. They're a little hard to answer. So I said, what is that? And then moments later, I'm in the store on the treadmill. I actually have video of stills of this as well. I'm running on the treadmill. She freezes the frame, zooms into my ankles, and she goes, notice how your ankles are overpronating when you run. I go, yes, yeah, so? She goes, the problem is if you run in sneakers that are not made for pronated feet, you can get plantar fasciitis and runner's knee and ultimately get sidelined for your race. If you'd like, I could take a look at your sneakers to see if they're made for pronated feet. And they weren't, and I spent $180 on new sneakers and insoles. So the point of view is, if you have sneakers, and if you run long distances, and if you have pronated feet, you might be at risk for getting injury. Now, if I didn't run, didn't have a race, only ran two miles, didn't have pronated feet, there's no problem to solve there. So she had a hypothesis and she asked the question to get me to think differently about my current solution, but there is no problem to solve if I am not running and I don't have pronated feet, but she does have a hypothesis and she's not pitching yeah. anything. She's kind of waiting for me to say, well, what, what do you have? Because that's what, when you do this really well, what you end up hearing the prospects say is, well, what do you guys have? Because that's where the next logical place of the brain goes. Because now they, they see there's a problem. 
it goes to what 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 is it that what, where the, the brain wants to close the loop there right right yeah and um we have a similar store like that that does the you know treadmill machine and uh i had a similar experience actually and uh I've, you know and i have pronated feet as well and i run and you know i would have never i never knew that i had to buy a stability shoe right probably and now i would never buy anything else it's probably not even a thing we're probably just suckers <laughs> <laughs> but now every now every short every store that sells shoes has the machine you know uh, yeah, so I, I another experience I had was I, I was looking for a, a Pinarello bike, a very expensive road bike I was going to get for my 50th. And I'm calling all these stores around here, seeing if they have one in a size 50, which is my size for that bike. And a couple stores said, yeah, we got him coming over, take a look. But I called this guy, John, at Racer's Edge in Boca. And I said, hey, I'm looking for a Pinarello in Venetian blue and like a 50. And I'll never forget what John said. We don't sell bikes that way. Now, this is an expensive bike. Yeah. And this is a guy who knows what he wants. So this is like a quote unquote easy inbound lead. And I go, what do you mean you don't sell bikes that way? And then he said this, the problem is if you buy one of those bikes, it'll feel great when you're riding it around the parking lot. But when you go on a 50 mile ride, it won't feel so great sometimes. And the problem is those bikes can't be adjusted. So what ends up happening is you get some back pain and knee pain. And a lot of people have to sell that bike. So I'm like, well, of course I'm going to say, well, what do you do? He goes, well, yeah. we fit you first. It's a three-hour process. And we matched to a bike we've done over 5,000 in the South Florida area. And I ended up buying a bike from John that was actually more money than the Pinarello because he had a point of view. Like Steve Jobs had a point of view with the iPod. Like you have to have a, a perspective. Uh, it doesn't yeah. mean that the other person is going to resonate with that. Well, I dude, I just ride the bike around the parking lot. Yeah. You know, so, so but, not but, only but again, you... a point of view, yeah. Not, not only do you have to know, you know, how your prospect gets the job done today, right? But you also need to know how your competition is trying to solve this problem, right? So that you can have a different point of view, right? John stood out because that's right. his point of view was different than every other bike shop that you talked to. That's right. Do you sound like every other bike shop when you make a cold call? Or are you going to sound like that's John? Right. That's right. And, and most people sound like, you know, we're, we're a recruiting company. Like I just, this, I was just going back and forth on someone with this on LinkedIn just before we jumped on this. She's like, I'm hearing, uh, we have someone for that already. I go, what are you saying before that? They go, what, what's she saying? We're a recruiting company with 15 years experience recruiting. I'm like, so is everybody. So is all, so is their existing recruiting company. <laughs> Nobody wants another recruiting company. Yeah. Right. right. So, so what, how what would you broken? as a recruiting company, if you were making cold calls as a recruiting company, how would you have a different point of view? Okay, so the point of view that I would have, and again, I'm not a recruiter, but here's, here's what I would do on this situation. So uh, let's say that there was an open position for a director of business development in the healthcare space. And I knew someone specifically at a competing healthcare company that had worked there for 15 years, but I had inside information that her boss was leaving. She was retiring. And they had worked together for 15 or 20 years. And so she might be open to different opportunities. I might in an email say something like that. John uh, saw the open headcount. You're probably getting barraged by tons of recruiters. I know a director of business development that's working for Kraft, their competitor. She's been there for 15 years, meeting and exceeding quota. She's thinking about leaving because her boss that she's worked with for 18 years is retiring. Is this someone you'd like to meet? Uh, here's a link. 
right? That's different than I'm going to find you high quality applicants faster, which is what every single recruiter says, right? Yeah. It, at least it's a different sort of perspective. Yeah. You have a viewpoint that you have a very specific person that you think will be exactly what it is that they're looking for, not at a competitive general, company. That's, I'm a yes, that's right. At a competitive company that's been working there for a while. And there's a trigger event of why she might be leaving because her boss, who she's worked with for a long time. It's very and you're specific. the only recruiter. You're the only recruiter that knows of this person. I might not be the only one, but I might be the only one that's saying this message, right? And and so it's a it's a sort of different point of view. Yeah, and, and it's also very specific. That's the other thing. I mean, when I do when I do workshops like this, uh, one of the things that I'll do is I'll say, which sales message piques your interest more? Imagine you have a broken MacBook. Sales message one says, we fix computers. Sales message two says, we fix MacBooks. Almost everybody in the room says, I want to go to the place that fixes the MacBook. Why? Because it's more specific. Right. And when you're more specific, it just hits differently. You're more believable. Yet most sales messages sound like this. We're going to save you time and money. We're going to find you high quality applicants faster. We're going to, uh, we're going to ramp you faster. Everybody talks like that. And to your point, it's not very specific versus, hey, uh, Colin, uh, most people that are producing podcasts are either doing it themselves using tools like Logic, Headliner, or Subtitles, or they're outsourcing the whole stinking mess to a uh, podcast production company. How are you like editing and promoting your podcast today? Oh, we're, we're doing it with uh, XYZ. We're outsourcing. How's that been going? Great. Sounds like it's checking. These guys are checking every single box. Sounds like it's perfect. Yeah. And then you I'll, might create an opening. And then I will have to say something like this. I'll have to know a weak, a weakness of a typical podcast production company. So if I'm Steve Jobs selling the app, what do you do in those situations where you want to run for eight hours, but your battery only lasts for two? You see, what I'm doing here is I'm focusing in on what their MP3 player doesn't have, that mine does have, but it also has to be meaningful to the prospect. So if they're running long distances, that might be valuable. If they're running for two minutes, they might not care about that. Yeah. So I'd have to know so, some weakness of the podcast production company. What, what, hey, Kyle, what do, you, do you ever have situations where you have a backlog of episodes and your podcast production company can't keep up? What, what do you do in those situations? Does that ever happen or not really? Yeah, it's happened from time to time. So that might be an opening. You know, so, so this, but what so I like you know, of how yeah. when, when, when they told you, you know, hey, I have a podcast production company for playing this through. You didn't try to overcome that, right? Which is what most people would do, right? Um, you said, hey, sounds like they're maybe checking all the boxes. Sounds like you have that all figured out. That's sounds like it's perfect. It sounds like it's perfect. Opening. Yeah, you're not yeah, trying sounds to. Sounds like it's perfect. No. You're not. trying to overcome it. Sounds like you wouldn't you're change a thing. Sounds like it's perfect. Sounds like it's checking every box. But then I have to have a perspective. Like I, I have to, I have to, I have to know something. It, it doesn't have to be right. It's a, it's a point of view. I have to know what the problem is with pro podcast production companies typically. So maybe they get a backlog. It's the equivalent of the short battery life or the not enough songs. Yeah. Like what, now, what is it? Yeah. So how long you been, how long have you been working with those guys? Like 10, 15 years? Yeah. Do, do you pause there when you say, Hey, it sounds like, sounds like that's because sometimes they're going to, they're just going to, take the bait themselves and be like, Oh no, it's not, it's not perfect. It's, it's mostly good. Right. You're, you're hoping to create an opening where they're going to correct your, what you've just said. 
I'm not actually hoping for anything. I'm just taking it for as it is. So I'm going to, that's a label. So it sounds like it's perfect. I'm going to shut my mouth and you're going to say, well, it's not perfect. And I'm going to say, if they say nothing, then you have a, a or, point of view. I'm just going to, I'm just going to wait till something to say something. I, I wouldn't say it's perfect. I'll say, I'm, I'm sorry, not, not perfect. And it might be something that I can't help them with or something that I can or whatever, but I'm not going in with like any kind of expectations. And that's not an objection, by the way. Someone saying they're using a vendor or a podcast production company is not an objection. That's the truth. You are, no matter what you sell, someone's using a vendor for their podcast production. Yeah. They're running in sneakers thing. These are not objections. This is merely resistance or truth. Even I'm not interested is not an objection. That's the truth too. What you said is not interesting. That's not an objection. It's not an objection. Be more like interesting. No, there, <laughs> be more interesting. Right. right. There's just resistance. I know this is, we might be nitpicking words, but there, this, this, there is no, there are no objections. Objections is a word salespeople made up. It's a frame. And that, what that does is it seems like something I have to overcome. What I'm suggesting here is like dog poop, resistance is a natural part of a cold call. And so we're going to embrace that and move with that and not think that's something that we have to even overcome. We're just going to move in harmony with it. Cause, cause all you're doing is creating more resistance. That's right. You're, you're trying to, yeah. it's like becomes a, 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 a power struggle of control. Yeah. And this, this gets back to self-determination theory, like a basic human need. Let's just forget about sales for a second. A basic human need is autonomy, control. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, assuming that you like pizza and I said to you, Hey, we can go wherever you want, but pizza, you're going to think somewhere. I, I just actually I had this happen. This is interesting. I was at a, a sales workshop in Kansas and the guy that hired me came out on stage before I got out there. And this is the first thing he said to everyone. I want everyone to put their laptops and devices away. When those are out, you get distracted. And I want your full attention on Josh. Now, everyone complied, but they weren't happy about it. Versus if you did this. Hey guys, I just saw this talk on YouTube last night by Dr. Sarah Burns. And she was saying that during workshops, if you have your devices out, you can sometimes get distracted. Um, it's your choice whether or not to take them out or not. But leave that at your discretion, completely up to you. That is a very different message. One is I'm trying to control and take your autonomy and your agency away, which is the traditional cold call process, which is not how brains work. It's not how people are wired. And the other one is surrendering control. Mm -hmm. So this approach that we're talking about here surrenders control to the prospect where it belongs, which is gonna lower resistance because again, a human need is autonomy. Yeah. Well, Josh, as always, it's been awesome having you on. Always love talking to you about these things. Any final thoughts as we wrap up and then where's the best place for folks to check you out and see what you got going on? LinkedIn's always the best place for me. I'm hanging out there most days or my website, joshbron.com. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. If you haven't checked out the cold calling podcast, do that now where you can find all the best moments from these sessions. And we also post live cold calls so you can hear the other side of the conversation. The cold call podcast is brought to you by Monster Connect on all your podcast apps.